Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we are live on tape from Dublin. And this is the second part of our discussion about the year 1980, the biggest year of change for the Beatles. And when we left, we were, we'd only gotten to April. Paul McCartney has put out his coming up single. It's uh, hit the radar of John Lennon. John Lennon's also listening to lots of other music at the time. And... At the end of April, John starts writing. He'd been doing bits he'd, and pieces. He'd been doing bits and pieces. I mean, there, there is this myth that he subsequently uh, propounded that that really he just put his guitar down in 1975, 1976, and had done nothing. Mm. Um, but he's clearly he's kind of fiddling around with with bits of songs. But um, yeah, uh, within sort of a week of hearing coming up, he demos the song "Dear Yoko," mm. which will appear on double fantasy and um, the thing that I think is <laughs> amusing is the following day Yoko instructs him to observe a 10 day silence uh, for the purposes of clearing out his head so I think you know I've written you this song darling dear Yoko very nice you could just shut up for 10 days uh, uh, so it's an interesting uh, keep it to yourself keep it to yourself um, but it, it it starts to unlock John's creativity and actually yeah, it's the trickle that eventually leads to a big flood. I, th- I think so, and um, you, you know, Yoko is very into to numerology and uh, you know all of these sort of uh, she's tarot readers yes. and things like this. So one of one of the things that she does from time to time is tell John to go and travel to certain mm. or a certain direction. You have to go around the world in a particular uh, direction. So in in May and June. Yeah, after his 10-day silence. After his 10-day silence, uh, she then sends him off uh, travelling and he visits uh, South Africa and Spain and Germany. Yeah, I didn't know he was in I, Germany I, I in I hadn't realised he got that close to, to coming back uh, to the UK. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that he was in Europe in, in 1980. Um, but the other big uh, deal... The, the big The story, big deal the big in May deal 1980, in May. the thing that caused uh, the Buntings to be raised high on streets up and down the land was the release of McCartney 2, uh, which eventually comes out and it hits number one in the UK, number three in the USA. And it's on the back, as we said, of this very big, successful coming up single. I think it's fair to say that people might have raised an eyebrow when they heard the rest of the album. Yes. And not, 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 <laughs> not similar to, to, uh, to the Wings output. Yeah, well, not similar at all. And I have to admit, it's an album when I first heard it. 
in 89. I thought it was terrible and it took me a number of years to actually unlock it. I now think it's a fantastic record. It's the sound of Paul just kind of tipping his head onto tape and seeing what comes out more or less. You know, it's a very unguarded, but mm. it gets, it doesn't really get unanimously praise to any degree. No, I mean, it is, I have to say, it is an album that I like. It gets better with time. It gets better with time. Mm. When when I, I bought it as it came out, I think, uh, on CD. Maybe I got it on CD, which might have been a little bit Well, CD later. wasn't 1980. No, so maybe it wasn't until it came out on CD. Yeah. Um, but I do remember the first time I heard it all the way through, like, not liking it. Yeah. And thinking, uh, this is this is very odd. Mm. Um, I suspect where I first heard it was there was a Radio 1 show, and I'm, this is just coming to me as I'm... I'm <laughs> Talking to I, maybe Tommy Vance, interviewing Paul McCartney and right. going through every single track, track on the album yeah. and sort of playing every single track with with commentary. Yes, uh, because I do rem- seem to remember him having uh, difficulty with uh, bogey music, <laughs> actually saying anything that was in any way. How do you talk about that yeah. track? That's yeah. just a kind of jokey, throwaway, yeah. weird track. Um, but clearly, it was sufficiently uh, the, the the McCartney publicity machine. Yes, was in full gear here, where he's appearing on the radio and he's talking about the album. Um, and in the grand tradition of you know Red Rose Speedway, uh, there is a double album version of McCartney mm. Two. That was the original plan, and I think the thing that really locked the album in for me was when the special edition came out in 2012, yeah. where you get all the tracks recorded from the McCartney Two sessions, and you get to see the kind of the breadth of what he was doing experimentally at the time. Because I think the the the, the detail or the joy is in some of the B sides, like Check uh, My Machine. Check My Machine. That's on the CD issue, and uh, and uh, Secret Friend. Yeah. And Secret Friend, which is the longest Paul McCartney song, it's a 10 minute kind mm. of trancey, ambiente, uh, I slinky instrumental. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting to see him work in that form. It's 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 funny because I, I wonder, again, did he have a sort of crisis of confidence before the album came out? Mm. Because, you know, people talk about, oh, this is very kind of experimental. It's very forward thinking. It's got all of these uh, keyboard tracks. And, uh, you know, he was really ahead of the curve here. But actually, when you listen to the album, yeah. half the album isn't like that. It's at quite all. traditional. It's quite traditional. Mm. You know, you've got uh, waterfalls and one of these days and, and things like bogey music, which yes. is just a bit of a, a, a kind of a laugh. joke, yeah. kind of a laugh. But was he actually originally intending to to put out something that was almost entirely uh, keyboards and well you know whenever paul does that kind of thing you know and he'd done it with mccartney and he'd done it with wings wildlife and then he did mccartney too nobody thanks him for it and he gets really bad reviews and he gets quite defensive mm. and he retreats into yeah. kind of a more popular well, type uh, of form and i think well. later on with fireman he manages to match those two worlds is that because better. he's he's sort of distancing himself yes. slightly it's he not only the mccartney brand yes he can um, say this is a different thing we were talking before about the McGear album mm. that he kind of cuts loose yes. a little bit and uh, you know my theory <laughs> is that the McGear album uh, is the missing link between Red Rose Speedway and McCartney too well, but uh, it's a kind of halfway house and McCartney is doing odd yes. slightly atonal things on the McGear album that he, he just wouldn't get away with or yeah. wouldn't perhaps have the nerve or the confidence to, to put out under his own name. Well, the McGear album, if anyone listening is unfamiliar with it, has just been re-released as a you know a three-disc reissue. It's only about 15 quid, and yeah. it's a sensational reissue. It's a brilliant album, it's and it's Paul and Wings with his brother Mike uh, singing. Yeah, and absolutely, absolutely an, an essential album. It's yeah. an album that I always liked, but this 
little clamshell box yeah. that they have with with it is just sensational. Yeah. I, I can't recommend. It's that It's a super enough. box and it's a super album and it's well worth uh, it's well worth uh, digging out. But yeah, there is stuff on McCartney too that I think stands well. Uh, Dark Room is a track I love. I think mm. it sounds like Gorillas. Yeah. This track, Temporary Secretary, where the synthesizers, you know, Paul thinks they sound like typewriters, so he writes a song about secretaries. Again, Hot Chip kind of in later yeah. years uh, rehabilitated this song and Paul, who loves a bit of attention, brought the song back into his set lists, you know, to try and explain that this was, uh, you know, uh, to, for the diehards, it was a great moment for the yeah. rest of the audience. It's not so much, no. maybe. Did you ever see him do? I t- never No, but I would love I would love to hear him do that. Y- you know, it's when he, he pulls those kind of odd things into the set list. That's the, the, that, that, that's what I want to hear. Yeah. And so when McCartney 2 comes out, Paul is interviewed in Cannes at the time and he sort of says Lennon and McCartney that's not a thing yeah um, so Seaside Woman which is a, a, a Red Rose Speedway era track yeah. era track there's a little animated film and that actually wins Palm Door for mm. best short film so McCartney's there he said no no when Lennon McCartney he's specifically talking about the songwriting partnership and yes. he said uh, when I last spoke to John uh, he'd said he'd finished with songwriting and that, that the last so time he doesn't know what's about to happen he doesn't know what's about to happen uh uh, that was 1976. He's referring back to a conversation from four years yeah. earlier. And on the day McCartney 2 comes out in the US, John, there's a story about John that gets into the papers. Oh, yes. Uh, this is so uh, a, a week later, 21st of May, McCartney 2 is released in the US. And um, John announces his intention to sell his quarter share in Apple. Which I he mean, doesn't do. No, but no. this is this is a sort of serious announcement. And I, is it just a coincidence that on the day that McCartney's album is being released, Lennon is trying to steal the thunder a little bit? I'm sure it is. Who would be so petty in the world of rock and roll? Uh, it's just a coincidence. <laughs> just a coincidence. <laughs> on the 19th of May, Ringo and Barbara, uh, who are very much an item at this point, they have a, a car accident uh, where the car crashes into two lampposts and flips onto its roof. Yeah. Ringo pulls Barbara from the car and they are very lucky. Uh, yes. with an accident like yeah. that you know that um, so th- this is half a mile from where Mark Bolan was killed really uh, so very close to that spot and I think the the story is that Ringo pulls Barbara from the car yeah. and then nonchalantly goes back to the car to retrieve his cigarettes <laughs> so you've got to got to keep up was he driving back to Tittenhurst Park um, possibly don't know okay where he was living at the time um, but then we get to June and on the morning of the 5th of June, 1980, John Lennon, along with Captain Hank Halstead, uh, the Tyler Connolly uh, and cousins, uh, Ellen and Kevin Connolly, they leave Newport for Bermuda on a boat, on a yes. boat holiday. So John, continuing his um, trek around the world and doing yeah. different things, sets off on a boat uh, with the plan to sail to Bermuda. And in the midst of all of this, it goes wrong. Yeah. So what happens? Well, there's a storm. There, yeah. there, there's there's a, a really bad storm, and one by one, uh, the members of the crew start to get sick. Uh, they, they they're no longer capable, and ultimately Lennon is left uh, on his own. Yes. Uh, to sort of uh, handle this boat. Uh, now, I always find this story slightly unbelievable. That I thought <laughs> so. Suddenly, this millionaire rock star who is on a boat with a crew. Yes. Um, everybody else is incapacitated. So in the manner of sort of airplane or, you know, he is there a pilot. He just steps up. And I thought, how could he possibly do this? But yeah. the backstory is that he's he has been learning to sail. Right. So uh, in the preceding months, uh, he's been taking sailing lessons. Uh, so this is a this is not just 
he suddenly discovers that he knows how to handle a boat. He has been taking lessons. He and Yoko have bought mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a yacht, mm-hmm. uh, which is called the Royal Isis, which right. I, I think reflects Yoko's love of all things Egyptian and buying. But it's very close to the name of the boat, the Royal Iris, oh, which yes. is the boat that, that the Beatles, the played, Beatles on. played on yeah. uh, back in Liverpool. Uh, but uh, anyway, so he, he has actually been learning to sail. And he, so, yeah, the, the legend of the story is that he's left on his own and he's sailing into this massive storm. Yeah. He's got his hands on the wheel and he's never felt more alive. You know, Yoko's back in New York with Sean. Nobody else can take the ship. And he sort of has this revelation or transformation. His father had been on the seas before him traveling the world. And now he's left to fend for himself. And it's it's like a bad movie. It is like a bad movie. But, you know, you kind of hear these stories of yeah. people who have car crashes or some kind of things that kind of you could say, you know, is he woken up from something? Does mm. something get stirred inside him? But I think he realizes that he's whatever comfort he's been living in the last couple of years, that actually there's something yeah. this else is, to this life. Is the, this is the thing that kind of jolts him out of that. Yeah. And that the whole house husband period uh, sort of 76 to 75, 76 through to 1980 mm. is it, it's difficult to know uh, just what the correct version of that is you know he would have it uh, he, he had it very much uh, in 1980s giving interviews saying it was all about baking bread and looking yeah. after the children and it was uh, the child and it was marvelous and it was very domestic and, and, and he was having a great time his personal assistant We'd be saying, no, no, he was depressed, he was reclusive, he, mm. he was not in a good space mentally, that uh, his marriage was in, in, in difficulties. Um, you know, you have the Albert Goldman book yes. where he's drawing very direct comparisons with the sort of Elvis uh, decline and the, the drug use. And uh, so, so there's a lot kind of going on, and mm. a, lot, a lot of mystery, if you like, that whole sort of three, four year period is shrouded. This, but this genuinely does seem to be something that jolts him out you, of that. You know, it's funny how he's labelled a house husband. I mean, Yoko wasn't putting out albums at this time and she doesn't get labelled anything. You know, nobody's no. uh, nobody's kind of saying, oh, you That's, know. That's uh, the sexist 70s for you. Well, yes. And it, uh, we're, well, we're, we're still, <laughs> still sometimes doesn't feel like we're much further along. Maybe we are. But the reality is that John arrives in Bermuda on the 11th of June. And over the next three weeks, he essentially writes all the songs that will appear on the Double Fantasy album and, yeah. and the, the subsequent uh, Milk and Honey album. And uh, there was a, an app that came out a few years ago called the Bermuda Tapes, where yeah. you could uh, hear John's demos of Woman, Starting Over, uh, I'm Losing You, uh, Nobody Told Me, Dear Yoko. You know, these are I all winning I, songs. I, I checked, but that app is no longer Oh, is it available. gone? Is it? I, couldn't, I couldn't find it. But if anyone out there... Yes, uh, has access to the app, uh, yeah. but I couldn't. I couldn't come across. I remember it at the time. So it, it seems that a lot of these were written quite quickly. Now maybe there were some fragments hanging around before Bermuda. Maybe he was tying in some loose ends, or he was codifying yeah. or putting things down that he'd been thinking of. But there's certainly, when you look at that body of songs and the, and the subsequent album, there certainly is a theme of restarting. Here's where I am now. Yes. Here's what's going on. I, th- I think so. He's taking the the little scraps, uh, bits and pieces that he's been working on over the previous few years. He's pulling those together and they're, they're suddenly emerging as uh, as finished songs. So you've got Watching the Wheels, for example, which yeah. is really clearly a direct commentary on his his absence from the music, uh, uh, the music industry. Mm. Um, so th- he's he's got a villa in Bermuda that has a piano. He, hi- he gets a sort of 
beatbox. The uh, Villa boombox, Undercliff yeah. uh, near Hamilton in Bermuda. Uh, a sort of boombox thing that he can record on. And he's yeah. just he's just pumping out these these demos. The other thing that happens is he goes to a club. Uh, yes. And uh, he hears the B-52s. Rock Lobster. Rock Lobsters. That's the first time he's heard that. And he hears this and he thinks... That's Yoko. Yeah, that that ululation at the yeah. end is a, is a Yoko sound, and it's it's another song that hits his antenna, and I think it kind of adds to this thing that he's going in the right direction it by is, stepping exactly. back into so music. He's, and he's on the phone to Yoko saying, "It's time. Yes, the world has caught up. You know, uh, it, and your material that sort of over the last ten years that people were sort of saying was too out there and too. It's now coming into the mainstream. So he he very clearly. So Yoko flies to. Uh, Bermuda, yep. stays for two days yep. because she can't stand the heat, <laughs> gets uh, back on a plane and flies back to New York. And this is a big bust up. Right. Because Lennon is really angry that she's flying back. So that's when he writes the song, I'm Losing You. Right. And that whole, you know, here I am in some stranger's room. Uh, you, you know, yeah. that's, that specifically comes out of this kind of argument where she flies back to New York. And he demos all this material between the 21st and the 30th of June, 1980. And one of the reasons we're talking about 1980 is just how quick it all happens. You know, at the start of June, he's got nothing. Yeah. At the end of June, he's written two albums worth of material, essentially. Uh, and things then move pretty fast, but not without the other big event of June, 1980, which was the release of Waterfalls as the second single from the McCartney album. Yes, <laughs> I find it interesting. It's comparable. It's directly comparable. <laughs> it is interesting that Waterfalls was a hit. It was a top 10 hit. And I don't think it's remembered at all. It's a song that's kind of disappeared from the McCartney radar completely. And it's a charming song. And it's, yeah. you know, gotten very melodic. And it's got a really interesting kind of video for it with a real polar bear. I was going to say we could do without the polar bear line. But, but yeah, <laughs> and no, the jumper. See, it's, it's a great... His hair great. is parted in the other side. It's Lots of interesting things. But... Um, <sighs> But it's a song that you I've never heard it on the radio. I've no. never heard it. It doesn't appear in any greatest hits. And yet it's a it's a it's a top 10. But at the end of June, then John has all these songs in his, his back pocket. And so the the notion is that he's going to start uh, wanting to record them. Moving into July, at the start of July, George publishes I, Me, Mine. Yes. And that's not like a regular book. No, this is a book that's recently been uh, within the past couple of years has been reissued in an expanded version. But essentially... Um, you know, John referred to this as George's autobiography, but it's not, <coughs> it's really, not really an autobiography. It's really, it's a, a replica of um, handwritten lyrics and then there's little kind of comments about yeah. where the song was written or things that, it's a very slight book. He's worked on this with Derek Taylor. It's a limited edition of uh, 2,000 copies and it retails for £148. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's a lot of money. I, I remember, you'll not be surprised <laughs> to know, that uh, in July 1980, I was a member of the George Harrison fan club. Really? And uh, Colour me, surprised. We, we were being asked, the fan club asked people to send in money so that the fan club could, could buy, buy a copy. A copy. <laughs> and that was the point where I thought, well, do you think George would give a copy yes, to, the to fan his, club. his his uh, fan club? Do you know how much a copy sells for now if you want uh, to buy one? I don't. Okay. I do not know. Have a look um, on eBay afterwards. Several thousand pounds, I would imagine. I'd imagine um, so. Because they're signed, aren't they? They are signed. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the the key thing here is John reads this book. Yes. Now, I don't know whether he bought a copy or whether yeah. George sent him a copy but he reads this book and he is extremely annoyed that he's not mentioned yes. enough yes. in the book and he makes a comment to say you know he remembers every George remembers every two bit 
saxophone player that he worked with but really I'm not in the book at all my influence is is, is zero yeah. according to this and he holds forth at great length and this is this is something he, he returns to time and time again over the next six months he's giving interviews um, about this I've read that book yeah uh, he's John is not mentioned any more or less than Paul yeah. or Ringo yeah. it's not that type of book yeah. it's a book about here are the songs this is what this song means to me. Here's the lyric. This is what it's about. You know, I was in Eric Clapton's garden when I wrote Here Comes the Sun. That type of thing. It's not a detailed autobiographical yeah, work. Yeah, corners of my life. Yeah, so I, I, my own feeling is it's a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, but it's interesting that John cares enough to yes, that's, want the... Yes, that's probably the most telling thing. Yeah, to want the acclaim. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of July, Paul, Linda and Lawrence Juber from Wings uh, go to attend a session for Ringo's next studio album. They record... Uh, private property and what's the other song? Attention. Uh, attention. Okay. Private property ends up getting this big laborious video. It is. Done, There's a, that's worth cooler, checking out. Which is a very strange it's thing. Very Paul is in it, and yeah, it's, it's, it's worth checking out. Um, um, not Paul's greatest songs, perhaps, but you know, no. entertaining enough. Well, yes, but it's still an avenue of communication between Paul and Ringo. Is, Ringo and still remains the one that everyone will Ringo communicate is, is, with. Yes, this is this is the thing. Ringo is gearing up. You know, we we. we heard in the last episode you know John had already given him a couple of demos of songs that he thought yeah. uh, might be good so again this is Ringo after that period of commercial failure he's he's clearly revisiting the formula from the Ringo album in yeah. 1973 uh, Goodnight Vienna where he is getting soliciting contributions from the other yeah other members of the band. And then at the end of July 1980, something that I only discovered when I was kind of researching for this episode was that Ringo and Barbara appear on a syndicated talk show in the US called The John Davidson Show, which like all things these days is now available on YouTube. Mm. And Ringo is very, very drunk. (laughs) And it's, 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 you know, as I said, you can look at it and say, oh, he's a Jack the Ladder. You can yeah. look at it and say, this is very sad and very worrying. And I'm sure if Ringo saw it himself these days, he would find it a deeply troubling watch because the guy, even at the start of the show, the host is trying to introduce Ringo and Ringo just walks on in the middle of the introduction yeah. thinking he's been introduced and then proceeds to start take pictures with his camera and kind of swing around and he's, he's gone. It's, it is not comfortable watching. It would remind you of those... Oliver Reed yes, appearances yeah, yeah, where, yeah. you know, he thinks he's being funny. Yeah. The audience think he's being funny for a little while. And then that changes. And then it starts to change and, and the host is is annoyed and, yeah, you know, he, it's just a bit of a car crash. And he's slurring and he's taking the questions off the host and the host is kind of walking off and it's, uh, you know, it's... Um, it's it's you know he says you know he was just backstage drinking cognac the whole time. It is. I mean, it, it it's uh, you know it's completely indicative of where he was in in 1980. And then at the very end of July, the 31st of July, Yoko calls Jack Douglas and asks him if he will listen to John's acoustic demos and put together a band and try and produce yeah. a record. And this is this is where it suddenly everything starts to accelerate. Yes. So when you look at the timeline, thirty uh, first of July, Yoko makes that call. Uh, the the demos are sent to Douglas in a kind of sealed envelope, you know, kind of for your eyes only thing. He listens to them. He thinks they're incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, even now, he will say. You know that they had the magic about them, and uh, why? Well, you know we're used to those songs now, but if you were getting a tape yeah. with "Woman" and starting over, and it's John Lennon's voice, and you haven't heard it yeah. in five years, you'd be uh, like, "Oh my god!" And he's just he's he's playing them on an acoustic guitar or a piano, or he's got a little little drum machine going in the background. Yeah. Um, so he assembles the band, 
Um, the story is at one point, having rehearsed the band, not telling the band yeah. who they will be uh, working with, yeah. he then says, oh, you, you know, I want you all to meet you know, in this particular location and then we're going to go on to another location. Yes. And it's only when the band pull up outside the Dakota yes. that they suddenly realize what's happening. What's happening. And they, they do little sort of rehearsals and things in, in the Dakota. But then four days later, 4th of August, Lennon's back in a studio. Yeah. So it's that quick. It's so quick. It's incredibly quick. Yeah, so she calls them at the end of July. They're in the studio the first week in August with that band. I'm trying to think who's in that band. Tony Levin is there, I know, on bass. Tony Levin, uh, uh, Hugh McCracken. Uh, is Earl Slick in that band? It could be. I've got a copy um, of Double Fantasy in front so of me. So some of these, some of these, these are effectively uh, um, Andy New York, yeah. the drummer. The, these are effectively New York's top session players. Yeah. And some of these people have worked with Lennon before, uh, all the way back to sort of mind games uh, era. Andy Newmark, uh, Tony Levin, uh, Earl Slick, you're right, Hugh McCracken, all these people, uh, Ed Walsh on Oberheim, John and Yoko, obviously. Uh, and when do uh, when do Cheap Trick make an appearance? They come in. They come in later. Yeah. Uh, Douglas brings uh, Cheap Trick in, and uh, we talk about that briefly. That to me is the great lost, lost opportunity. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you know, Cheap Trick are huge Beatles fans. Yes. I mean, huge aficionados. Um, and they're it, a tight band. They're they're, yeah. Sympathetic to pop yeah, rock. Yeah. And uh, I think at this stage, I think I'm right in saying they are currently working with George Martin. Okay. At this period. Um, when Douglas gets them to, to come in and they record a couple of tracks, uh, one of which is I'm Losing You. Yes. Which finally made an appearance on the uh, Lennon anthology. And there's an excellent little video that they did uh, after the fact yes. uh, where the two guys from Cheap Trick and Tony Levin and there's little animated drawings that yeah. Lennon had done. Fantastic version. It is very a good. I'll put a link up to that. All I can think of is what would Double Fantasy have sounded like yeah. if they had just gone with Cheap Trick as the backing band. If it had been a John and Cheap Trick album or, or even a John and Cheap Trick tour, holy and, moly. Yeah, it's the John and Cheap Trick uh, tour, I think is the thing. But fan as I am of Yoko yes. she is the one that said no yeah. it's the wrong sound uh, it's not a, we don't want a rock sound we want a pop mm -hmm. sound we're going for a kind of commercial pop and then she, she, she doesn't seem to have realised that Cheap Trick were a pretty big name yeah. and yeah. she started saying well why would this band get a free ride on John's coattails so Cheap Trick are, are not they don't pass the audition so they're spending August in the studio on the 13th of August uh, a certain somebody calls the studio yes who's Paul. that Paul. Paul Paul McCartney Paul McCartney right. calls the studio so word has got out yes that uh, John is back in the studio so Paul calls the studio to speak to John ostensibly about a collaboration so yes. the story is that McCartney hears that, that, that John is back yep. uh, and thinks right what can we do what can we do um, Yoko does not allow the call to be put through <sighs> so um, she doesn't make it easy sometimes well I know. you know so uh, I suppose charitably she's thinking you know we've got to do this we've got to do this bit first yeah. we've got to get John back yeah it's it's John and Yoko it's John Lennon we don't want this to turn into a Beatles reunion yep. or to get this but you can imagine the sense of excitement sure. on the part of Paul. Yeah. Where, you know, uh, as recently as a month before, he's, he's giving an interview in Cannes saying, 
John's gone. John's to, gone. He's retired. Yeah. That's it. And he he holds forth of that. He said, you know, we all work, and then we get to a point where we've got enough money to do the things we want to do, and then we retire. And he's retired, and that's it. And yeah. it's never going to happen again. And then suddenly, you know, a month or two months later, the word is out. Lennon's back. Uh, he's in a studio. He's recording an album. So of course, there's this. This suddenly, Paul sees his writing partner is is yeah, and just there. wants to see what's up. Yeah, um, and so they're working in the studio in August. There's a video shoot one day where they do some rock yeah, and roll stuff. This is this for me is the great lost. Is it uh, lost? Or is it just artifact. being hidden from us? It's not being seen. Okay, so because uh, there are lots of video tape bootlegs of things from the studio that yes. I've seen. There's Lennon interviews. There's Lennon singing with that crazy double head yeah, guitar, guitar yeah, thing yeah. that he has and um, you know there's there's dozens and dozens of photographs there's little snippets yeah. there's the promo there's, stuff they took walking through the park there's video so, camera footage of Julian's birthday yes yeah. so so there, there 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 is some footage but this was a specific uh, sorry Sean's birthday Sean's me. birthday there's a specific um, uh, video shoot set up yeah for this day and it's quite it's it, it sort of runs the entire day so the band the studio band are playing come on everybody rip it up mm-hmm. i'm a man i'm losing you just like starting over and interestingly she's a woman wow which is a paul song yeah um this is shot across the entire day yeah uh, professionally recorded john sees it yeah doesn't like it uh doesn't like the way he looks vetoes it and as far as i'm aware that has never surfaced, so I don't know whether it was wiped, wiped or, not. or it's sitting in a vault somewhere. But it seems to me that that uh, you know enough time has passed okay. that this is this is one of those sort of little things that's sitting out there somewhere. That uh, a John Lennon nineteen eighty box set or a John and Yoko nineteen eighty yeah. box set could be an amazing thing if all this stuff is still and it's, it's around. It, Clearly, there's a lot of run-throughs. There's a lot of studio yep. material. There's a lot of demos because bits of bits of it have surfaced on anthology. The, a few bonus tracks on 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 the Double Fantasy and Milk and Honey yep. uh, reissues. The acoustic uh, compilation. Uh, the stuff is there. So it seems to me that a 1980 box is is just waiting to yeah. be. With, with, and I'd love to see this. Yes. And this is supposedly the day that John sits down and starts talking to Douglas, Jack Douglas, the producer, about a tour. Yes. Uh, that he wants to tour, uh, that we've got to think about what we're going to do with this band. Are we going to get this band together? What else do we need? Do we need a horn section? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a big production a tour. A proper tour. A proper tour. This is going to be a big production tour. So also in August of 1980, Ringo's working on Stop and Smell the Roses, that album. Yep. George is working on Somewhere in England. but. Yep. When he makes the first submission of Somewhere in England in September, it... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. For the first time, I think Vinny beat lever, yeah. a record company says, no, that yes. is not good enough. Yes. What's although, that? Although I would say maybe the first time that maybe happened... Maybe it's, it's the record company's fault, obviously. No, no, well, <laughs> what I would say the first time that probably happened was Red Rose Speedway. Okay, true. That did go through the filter. Yes, okay. But, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I win. Uh, so, so what you're saying is Paul is the trailblazer. Paul is Paul the trailblazer for, for delivering subpar records. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, Warner Brothers uh, um, uh, hear this first uh, pass and they say, no, this is this is not what we want at all. Yep. It's too downbeat. It's it's uh, too laid back. We need something uh, a little bit, little bit more... more uh, of tempo, mm-hmm. and uh, this is this is embarrassing. This is a, a terrible kind of knockback for Harrison. This is a Beatle having his album uh, rejected. Yes, um, so he has to literally has to go away and record four new tracks. Um, so again, this is this is not a good not a good time for George. No, uh, and so the other thing that happens in September is that John starts to publicly reemerge. So he still hasn't finished recording the Double Fantasy album with uh, Yoko. Um, but he is starting to do uh, interviews yes. and publicity and he still hasn't nailed down the record contract that's nope. going to be releasing the Double Fantasy album. But he does one of these very long, extended 10-day Playboy interviews yeah. uh, which doesn't get published until um, January 1981 where he you know, looks at Beatles songs track by track and yeah. Uh, you know, it's the type of th- these type of interviews were a real thing in the seventies, where they go on for days, yes, for days and days and days. <laughs> I don't so really this see is, that this, anymore. Uh, this this takes place, as you say, over ten days. There's mm. there's a variety of uh, locations. Um, he has promised uh, um, uh, Playboy that this will be an exclusive. But he's doing a interview. big interview with Rolling Stone at the same time, isn't he? And it? with Newsweek. Oh right, okay. So uh, what happens is the Newsweek uh, interview yeah. comes out. And uh, uh, Playboy David Chef is, is is the interviewer. Get on the phone to him, and say this is absolutely terrible. What have you done? You know, we, we're trailing this as our exclusive thing. And John says, Oh, I'm re- I'm really really sorry. What 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 can I do to make it up to you? And Chef says, Tell you what, let's extend the interview and sit down and go through every Beatles song track by track. Oh, so the only reason that we have that yes is because Lennon kind of messed up the exclusive arrangement with Playboy right. and threw this in as the compensation. And this is the interview where he says, yes, Paul helped co-write In My yes, Life and, yes. oh, I hate this song. Uh, yeah, which this is, this is. I think this is where he says about, uh, you know, I wrote Do You Want to Know a Secret for George? It's only got three notes. He's not the best singer in the yes, world. And yes. you think, well, there's another little kind of uh, <laughs> slight because of the book uh, yeah. and the George relationship. Um Obviously, there are questions about will the Beatles get back together again? And Lennon is very dismissive of this and saying, well, why should we? It's just an illusion and people are trying to recapture something. You know, it's not going to happen. And at the end of the month, uh, the date is the 22nd of September. He signs with uh, David Geffen on the Geffen Records label to release the still unfinished Double Fantasy album. And there obviously was a lot of people who would have been very excited about a John Lennon album on their label. And the story goes that... Geffen was the only person who understood that it was a John and Yoko album. Yes, I think that was the big uh, that was the big thing. And this is this is again this is a recurring theme uh, with John. The reason why you know Klein uh, 
made the, the the big impression back in the day was he was talking about Yoko and he uh, you know talked about her art and all the rest of it. So Geffen realizes, learns from this, and he mm-hmm. says, "Right, no, not a problem, absolutely not a problem." Yeah. Now I think he has said subsequently, you know, he would obviously have much preferred this to be a John Lennon album, but it is what it is. And he, I think uh, without hearing it, yes, he yeah, said, he yeah, didn't yeah, hear yeah, it. Yeah, 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 we, yeah. We, 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 no, again, the speed mm-hmm. of this. So this is uh, in September, and last day of July is when they they rang the producer. I know it's so, so it's fast. staggering. Yeah, but I suppose when you're John Lennon, well, they're, they're getting back to that that Beatle pace. You know, yeah. it's recorded. Yeah, let's yeah. get it out. There's two other interesting things for September obviously uh, the release of Temporary Secretary by Paul McCartney is the third single from McCartney 2 um, again I think again, uh, a huge it was blasting from the airwaves world event yeah uh, didn't hit the top 10 this time round uh, but as it's had a bit of an afterlife it was released as this limited edition uh, 25,000 copy 12 inch which is where we got Secret Friend on the B side which is, is 25,000 a limited edition well at a time when singles would sell I that suppose. in a day I it suppose, obviously would I do suppose. I don't know if you own a copy of this single it's quite funny it has yeah. this cartoon on the front seen, yeah. and there's all these kind of smudges of paint and you read the, the credits on the back and it's like additional artwork i.e. smudges of paint <laughs> by Paul McCartney which I always, always find amusing but there's another thing at the end of September which isn't really verified and we no. haven't had it verified yet which is, is this where John has a haircut well, John has a haircut, <laughs> which is, seems to be a recurring thing. It is happens. a recurring thing. He gets theme. lots of haircuts towards the end yeah. of 1980, trying to figure out what way he wants to look. Yeah. So, But there's a story in, is it the, the, which book is it? It's uh, Keith Badman's book, which is The Beatles After the Breakup. And he, yeah. he kind of goes through day by day, uh, sort of basically sit from 1970 uh, uh, on. But yeah, he. so w- you've mentioned that the Playboy interview is going on. Yeah. So the final session for that is on the 28th of September and uh, Keith Badman says that uh, he did that interview in the morning Mm -hmm. then he has a haircut haircut and then he and Yoko get on a plane and fly to LA to see Monty Python at the Hollywood Bowl yes where they meet George Olivia and Derek Taylor Hmm. Uh, George gives John a copy of Somewhere in England which would have been rejected you know the rejected version yeah Um, they watch the show and uh, then John and Yoko fly back to New York uh, that night. So we don't know, is this a real thing? Because it, it, it's never been reported it's anywhere never, else. No, it's never been reported. It, it's kind of a big deal. It is kind of a big deal. Uh, and, John, and George did say after the fact, oh, I didn't see John yeah, for years and, before and, he died. And Graham Thompson, again, in that book, uh, the bio uh, of George, says that uh, John and George had not spoken for two years mm. uh, prior to December 1980. So uh, he he doesn't give this any credence. And there's a lot of speculation about that. I, Badman doesn't give a source for this. Yes. So short of, you know, Olivia confirming it or one of the Pythons or someone who was there. But yeah. the, it, it seems unlikely it, it, to it, me. It, it but feels I would like, unlikely. I would like to think that it was yeah, true. Yeah, my wish seems, is that it is it, real. It, it seems unlikely. So then we, uh, obviously, after September comes October. And on the 1st of October, yes, John has another haircut. <laughs> he does have another haircut. And on the 9th of October, John Lennon turns 40 and Sean Lennon turns 5 because they share the same birthday. Can we talk about Sean's birthday present? Yeah, what did he, he got um, some toys? Uh, some toys, probably some toys, maybe a, a birthday cake. But uh, in September, John and Yoko had bought him a plane. 
Right. For his fifth birthday. A toy plane? No, a real plane. I see. At £62,000. Right. In, in, in old, old money. money. Yeah. Um, and it came complete with a pilot and a stewardess. Well, he's too young to fly it himself, Stephen. Well, I suppose that's, that's ridiculous. True. Uh, that's true. Yes. That's true. Um, they had a big party. But, but imagine no possessions. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine no airplanes. They had a, a party at Inn on the Green, I think, which is a big uh, mm-hmm. fancy restaurant in Central Park. And a few years ago, I know nothing is private anymore. A video camera footage of that party of from course. 1980 uh, uh, circulated on the Internet, which is kind of crazy. What does happen in uh, October is that they finalise the recording sessions for Double Fantasy. And the last session is dated as being... I think on the 19th of October, is that right? Yep, that's right. And that's right. Uh, on the 20th of October, the following day, released to the world, is the first fruits of these sessions, which is the single Just Like Starting Over on the A side and on the flip side is Yoko's Kiss, Kiss, Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great uh, twofer. I personally love Just Like Starting Over. Yeah. I think it's a, a, you know, I think it's a great song. I know it's kind of got a bit of you know, retro. When did you first hear the song? Or I first heard the song, it would have been in 1988 when I um, went to see and subsequently bought the soundtrack for the Imagine documentary. Okay. And uh, so that's a great CD. We mentioned it briefly yeah, yeah, on the compilations yeah. episode. It's got some Beatles songs up front. It's got a really good Lennon solo compilation at the back end. And, uh, you know, just like starting over is there. And I just, you know me, Stephen, uh, I like the old pop edge of things you know yeah. so to hear John Lennon doing kind of uh, uh, music with a pop edge well, I enjoy that there's, there's, there's the, there are a couple of interesting things about the single so mm. one it starts with that little bell yes which is clearly a direct reference to the heavy bell at mother. at mother so it's kind of like 10 years on and he said that explicitly yeah, yeah. that that bell is there to show his state of mind compared to yeah the earlier and, bell and he he clearly has a kind of Roy Orbison Buddy Holly. Doesn't he say that on the uh, raw there, version? There, there this, is is for of, this is for Buddy. And Eddie. Yeah. yeah. So he's clearly, this is a throwback single. I have a very clear memory of that single coming out. I have yeah. a very clear memory of the anticipation yes. and the disappointment. Yeah. And it was very badly received, certainly in the UK. Um, it was considered to be sort of very anemic a little bit kind of naff naff. Uh, he was dare I say intruding on McCartney's territory that kind of domesticity the silly love song Mm -hmm. uh, thing plus the whole production style even then I think it was slightly dated or it it didn't have any raw edge and I think think people were expecting Lennon to come back with a kind of raw edge now maybe that was unrealistic because you think that these previous studio yeah. album was Walls and Bridges which is just a studio slick but studio I, I, production I do think you know Lennon is thinking you know I want to be in the you know as we mentioned earlier on Billy Joel's Glass Houses Empty mm. Glass by Pete Townsend this sort of grown up 60s yeah. pop rock contemporary yeah. thing and he wanted to get into that space yeah. really and I think certainly a couple of the sort of people that wrote books that, that sort of were hanging out with him around that time said he was worried mm. that the whole sort of domestic feel to the to the songs was was not going to be well received. Yeah, but he was yes he was desperate for a sort of big hit and and, and chart success. And it's a, as you say it's a pop song. Yeah, and I suppose the thing is Lennon's has re- had really made his reputation 
not mm-hmm. in pop since the Beatles. It was rock. It yes. was a kind of harder edge thing, meaning um, something. Yeah, it meant yes, yes. He was it causes and and. But I don't think what I don't think there's any other song that he could have put out or put at the start of his album because it's saying we're starting yeah, over. I think it was clearly written with to, that in mind. With that in mind, um, uh, for for me, yeah, the much more interesting song is yes. the Yoko B side. Well, I you know, Yoko. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about Double Fantasy in a second, but I mean, Yoko is kind of working on a more cutting edge, kind of new yeah, wavy yeah. type yeah, sound yeah. for that yeah. for that album. Um, but what's interesting is what else is happening in October when they're they're finishing that album is that Wings have recording sessions in October, yeah. so Wings are still a concern. The, they're still going. The the wheels have fallen off the touring wagon. You know, whatever Denny Lane who released a, a single called Japanese Tears uh, that summer about Paul's situation at the start of the year, whatever bad vibes that caused. Paul still hasn't knocked the nail on the head no. for Wings. Wings, technically, if I'm right, doesn't stop as a salaried no, institution no, no, till no. towards the end of 1981, yeah. when he eventually tells uh, Holly and Juber, it's over. we're done. But so Wings are recording for a thing called Cold Cuts, which is Hot Hits and Cold Cuts, the which never, is the never-ending, never never released tinkering. Yes, yeah. which was supposed to be halfway between a hits album and an unreleased album. And, you know, it, it's... And this was Wingspan, would that maybe... Get close to it. There's not really. Uh, there's a song called Water Spout that was supposed to come out in all the best in '87. Hey Diddle. Yeah, Hey Diddle, and and they're working on tracks like there's a there's a version of Night Out with lyrics that's done yeah. for Cold Cuts at this time. So, um, but Wings are still working. They do about three weeks of sessions in October 1980. Um, EMI release another Beatles compilation called Beatle Ballads. Um, you know, there's an auction at Abbey Road and all of these auctions where they're selling stuff. That's, again, that's 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 a very interesting thing to me is that EMI are having a kind of uh, garage sale yeah uh, so they're selling bits and pieces so including the four track machines that Sgt Pepper was recorded on yeah uh, and Mike Oldfield pays a thousand pounds for the magical mystery I know the Mellotron Mellotron which has the original Seven. tapes oh, and right. settings but you think why 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 would EMI be thinking of selling these things or why was was McCartney not buying them up but sure when we were at that EMI uh, Abbey Road visit what was interesting is this notion at that time they were going to rebuild it yeah. knock it down yeah. you know the value hadn't totally landed with people no the value so they're still they're still they're still desperately milking the yeah. catalog with Beatles ballads but they haven't quite figured out that uh, you know, like they, they. I think this is the auction that includes an ashtray right. that Ringo used. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, this nonsensical. That they, they clearly have no real idea of what they have. And John demos two songs in October. One is "Serve Yourself," which, if anyone hasn't heard it, is hilarious. <laughs> it's a great song. It's very funny. Kind of a, a takeoff on Bob Dylan, who was in the middle of his Christian phase yeah, at that time. To serve somebody. Yeah, Lennon took that that. Christian conversion very badly. Uh, what else did he say about it? Uh, well, he just he he just there are several versions of that. Save yes. yourself. Um, and he just railed against the, against the notion that Dylan, this kind of spokesman for a generation, would suddenly become submit himself, submit to, this. himself yeah. to this kind of Christian thing. But interestingly, yeah. in at least one version of that, he starts then uh, at the end of the song saying, "You know, you've got to serve your mother. You've yes. got to serve your mother," and you think. Is that kind of his very self knowledge? He's 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 you yeah. know this whole relationship with his mother and that kind of pop psychology. So it's an interesting uh, interesting take, but that's that's worth checking out. And the other song he demos is "Real Love," which goes on yeah. to this afterlife as being yeah. a, uh, a Beatles song. A Beatles song. 
Um, so then we move into November and George is starts re-recording his rejected uh, yeah. uh, the, the rejected yeah. songs for the rejected version of Somewhere in England and he also uh, the second handmade film The Long Good Friday mm-hmm. appears now this isn't a film they've made from scratch it's a film they've bought over the distrib- the film is made they've bought the distribution rights and they showed at the film festival in in um, in London in November 1980 but it shows that handmade films is up and running yeah. and that this is you know another thing that George is putting his, his name to. Um, there's another couple of re-releases then in November? Yeah, this is EMI, the Music for Pleasure. Yeah, uh, They release uh, three or four albums for one ninety nine each and that includes uh, Ringo, Mind Games, and Dark Horse. Nothing nothing from Paul. So Paul's <laughs> obviously selling well enough that he doesn't, that need, he doesn't to need to be discounted. And they also put out uh, the rock and roll music um uh, Compilation yeah. as two separate volumes. Right. And interestingly, I think we mentioned this on the podcast at the time, we, we talked about compilations. They use different mixes right. for this. So if you bought the UK rock and roll music album, you got the original uh, recordings from the 60s and the mixes from the 60s. These are the specific mixes that Martin had done uh, for the US rock and roll compilation. Uh, now I appear for the first time. Um, uh, and then in November... yeah. The final uh, sort of big compilation is that mail order Beatles box, yes, that's which an is thing. a weird yeah. kind of eight LPs, 126 tracks in a box that with EMI's mail order uh, mm. uh, section put out. That's worth looking at because uh, I'll not go through it here, but you've, we, we've got different mixes and odd takes and yeah. rare, the various rarities pop up there. So the only reason really to seek that out, I think it's available on LP and cassette, is these odd mixes. And so on the 19th of November, uh, Ringo is at George's place in Friar Park, in the Friar Park uh, studios. Yes. Uh, and so Ringo and George are together and they're recording a first version of uh, a song called All Those Years Ago, which yeah. the initial intention is that George has written this and Ringo is going to sing it. Uh, it's going to be a track on Ringo's next album. Yes. Yeah, so we've had Paul contributing to Ringo's album. George is contributing to Ringo's album on the 19th of November. And on the 26th of November, um, uh, Ringo and Barbara go to New York and they have a five hour dinner yeah. and meet up and hang uh, with John and Yoko. Yeah, so Ringo said, you know, we were just going to meet for an hour or so, but we had such a great time. It just ran on and, and it was just fantastic. And this seems to genuinely have been a, a sort of, uh, although it was organized, it kind of spontaneously became an entire evening uh, of social activity. And, and um, John says yes he will play yeah. on on Ringo's new LP so we've already had Paul recording yep. some stuff George uh, has recorded a track and John is saying yep absolutely I'm up for that uh, and here's a song mm-hmm. that you might like and uh, this originally started as being called Strange Days indeed but it, it's nobody told me yeah. so he gives that to Ringo and says I think this uh, would be great uh, for you and they set up a session date which is the 14th of January 1981 they do indeed. And then in the, between all of that, in the middle of all that, finally you get the release of the Double Fantasy album, which comes out on the 17th of November uh, 1980. And the reviews of that are good and bad. Yes, it's a very kind of mixed uh, a mixed bag. Uh, again, I remember from the time I, I didn't buy the record. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'd heard the single. I was really not that impressed. I didn't buy the single. And yeah. when the album came out, it really did not get good reviews, certainly in the UK. Yeah. And uh, it was just seen as a little bit of a damp squib. Um, the other side note is on the uh, 26th of November in New York is the uh, cinema 
debut premiere of Rock Show, which is the movie interpretation all, all about of, the wings. of Wings as 1976 um, Wings Over America tour. Paul um, did not attend. He was back in the UK. He was in the studio messing around with George Martin, starting to figure out what his next mm. album or next recording uh, would be. So then we move into uh, December. Well, just before we leave oh, yeah. November, can I say 28th of November is an interesting day? Yes, yes, yes. So this is this is the, the, the ongoing lawsuits uh, about the Beatlemania stage show. Uh, and, and, and so Beatlemania is a strange thing. It's one of these, uh, and we should look at all these things some days. It was a late 70s stage show which tried to tell the Beatles stories through a mock Beatles band telling yes. their songs against news footage and yep. all the rest. And it turned into a movie at one point yep. as well. But it was called Beatlemania yep. and it was trading on their name and songs. And so the, the Beatles are trying to have this stopped. Yes. Uh, basically for sort of copyright or, or what have you. And the the, the the legal argument for Beatlemania was really, well, this is all fair game and the Beatles don't exist mm-hmm. anymore and, uh, you know, we should we should be allowed to, 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 to carry on. Now, John gives a formal deposition. So in America, uh, the format is you, you sit in front of your question and uh, all of this goes down as a, as, a, as a sworn statement, this deposition. And in this, he states the Beatles have plans to reform for a reunion tour um, and a lot is made of this mm. that uh, you know this was a genuine thing that the Beatles were going to uh, the, the, the lawsuit was eventually settled in 1986 and mm-hmm. that's when the deposition became public oh, knowledge and this was sort of seized upon as the the, 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 the possible reunion that, that uh, in, in 1981 uh, my own view is this this is this is for the purposes of the lawsuit and uh, it's John leaving the option open yes. at, at best yes. and saying if anyone has the right to decide this it's yep. the four of us and yep. I'm going to but I don't think we should yeah, we can't read too much into that I don't think so then we get into uh, the first week of December on the 5th of December uh, John calls home he uh, to his aunt Mimi he has a big chat with her and says you know he's looking forward to hopefully coming to England in the new year he also gives a huge interview that day going on for about nine hours um, for Rolling Stone magazine which yes. doesn't fully come out until 2010 it's a it's a good read that it is it is and uh, but the plan was that uh, John was due to be the cover star of the first copy of Rolling Stone that was due to hit the newsstands in 1981 and this was all part of the ongoing publicity drive because whatever people thought about Double Fantasy and the album and the singles John was back in talking to newspapers he gave good copy he was a good interview exactly I think this is it the the, the, the PR machine was in in overdrive because they they already had songs you know they got the Double Fantasy songs out they had songs in the can to work on for the next album they were already uh, looking at the next album, they were already talking to Jack Douglas about a tour. So, regardless of the slightly uh, mixed reviews, it was onwards and upwards. And and and, and uh, as part of that, Andy Peebles from Radio One uh, flies over from London, and uh, he uh, secures an interview across the sixth and the seventh of December. That's an interview that uh, has been released in various uh, formats. I think there's little snippets of it up on YouTube. But uh, certainly, there is a there's a double CD of that interview. Uh, of that interview, yes. I have to say, it's not. Uh, it's, I would much prefer reading the uh, Playboy interview or the Rolling Stone interview. Andy Peebles just simply takes him through in a rather dull fashion chronologically yeah. uh, or, or, uh, through the Beatles years and his solo years. And that was across the weekend. Yeah. The eighth of December was 
a Monday. And that's John gets a haircut. John starts the day by getting a haircut on the 8th of December. And uh, after that, it's in a 50s kind of retro style haircut. Yeah. After that, he goes back to the Dakota for the Annie Leibovitz photo shoot for yes. the promised cover of Rolling Stone. So if you look at the if you look at the cover of the John Lennon collection, that yes. LP, that's the 50s kind of quiff. Right. And he has a sort of a leather jacket with a uh, kind of collar. And so he's he's kind of clearly... Uh, going back to that Hamburg vibe, that early 60s vibe. And the photo shoot includes photos that have gone on to become quite famous of John and Yoko in various stages of undress. John yeah. and Yoko both naked, Yoko fully clothed, and John with Yoko as well. But they, they And it's also been filmed, so there's yes. film of this so as well. So it's incorporated, I think, into a, 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 a video. Yeah. And uh, John actually suggests before the photo shoot ends that a particular photograph, which is Yoko fully clothed, lying on the floor with John kind of naked but kind of wrapped around her that's he says that's, that's the cover, the cover. shot yeah. uh, so this is going to be a, an early 1980 uh, uh, edition of Rolling Stone so after a, a full day like that they are still in the recording studio mode and they are still yep. working on making records so uh, early in the evening they leave the Dakota uh, and the plan is to go off and do some more recording Yes, so they're heading to the record plant and uh, there's a, a fan of a photographer, Paul Goresh, and he takes a photograph of John signing a copy of Double Fantasy for a fan. Uh, they get in the car and then they go to the record plant. And uh, that night they're working on Walking on Thin Ice, a Yoko which song. is a Yoko song, which uh, I have to say for me, just fantastic uh, mm. song. It's come out in various, it's been remixed to death, but the original uh, version is just a sensational uh, track and um, they finish it that evening and uh, John hits the button and says to Yoko through the, the talk back uh, you just recorded your first number one Echoes of George Martin back in 1962 at the end of 62 with the recording of Please Please Me yeah Exactly, exactly. And that uh, John and Yoko decide that that's a good enough day's work. Jack Douglas, once they leave, he wipes some He wipes tapes. all of the uh, tapes of that day's studio chat and studio, studio banter. And he's never talked about what was on those tapes or yeah. what was said. Or, so there's a sort of air of mystery hangs around what, what were they, what were they talking about or what, why did he feel the need to, to, to delete that? And then um, they decide to return home to the Dakota and they return home on Monday, the 8th of December at about 10.50 p.m. The following morning, Paul gets a phone call and he is given the news and he decides to proceed with his day as normal, that he's going to go to Air Studios where he's been working with George Martin, the first extended bit of working with George Martin that he has done in a while and figures there's nothing else he can do except work. And George Harrison, uh, the same, he gets a phone call uh, in the middle of the night, uh, goes back to sleep, gets up in that morning, he has a, sh- a session scheduled for uh, Dream Away at Fire Park, and he starts that uh, session and then abandons that uh, halfway through. And Yoko records a piece of music that day. She records a piano dem- demo uh, that morning of a song called I Don't Know Why, uh, which would subsequently end up uh, on uh, Season of Glass, which was uh, her first post-Double Fantasy uh, album, which was produced by Phil Spector. And as the day progresses, Paul, who is working that day with very famous Irish musician Paddy Maloney, uh, realises that he's not going to get anything done. 
and the sessions kind of end with the, the musicians for the day sitting around and having a drink having and talking a and a chat. And in the interim, Ringo and Barbara decide to fly to New York. They had been holidaying in the Caribbean and they fly to the Dakota. And spend time with Yoko. Yeah. And then we get to the end of 1980 and back at number one in the charts is just like starting over. Yeah, it gets to number one in the US uh, on the 27th of December and uh, at number one in the UK on the 3rd of January 1981. And so by the time you get to the 1st of January 1981, the world is a very different place and the world of the Beatles is a very different place and what it means to be a fan of the Beatles becomes a very different thing and any possibilities or dreams that had been so prevalent in the previous 10 years uh, disappeared. Yes. And it only gets kind of harder to think about when we kind of look at that year in detail and saw how vital and busy and excited all of these four people were. I think so. I think that's that that's what you take away from it. That 1980, uh, everyone was working. Uh, everyone was uh, focused on what they were doing. But also at the end of the year, you had this idea that they were all going to appear on Ringo's next album. Yes. Um, and that would have been the first time, I think, since 1973 when they all appeared on the same, not necessarily working together, but all on the, that, that same album. Ringo, uh, his usual role of, of being the mediator there. So that's 1980 in the world of the Beatles. And I th- hopefully you'll uh, see what we mean when we say that it is the year that uh, changed everything in terms of their history. We hope you will contribute to the conversation you can talk to us on our facebook group uh, look up the nothing is real facebook group and ask to join uh, we're on twitter on at beatles pod and uh, so you can tap us on the shoulder there and leave us a message and, and talk to us about this we will put up a 1980s playlist yep. and uh, you can have hear what everybody was up to at that point in time and uh, wherever you download us make sure you subscribe on that platform and uh, leave some uh, feedback for us Uh, going forward but for now uh, this is Nothing Is Real my name's Jason Carty my name's Stephen Cockcroft and we'll see you the next time thanks Even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.